Atamari and welcome to First Up for Ramere, Friday the 17th of February. Ko Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, we hit North America with Bevan, Africa with Nabil and the fresh produce markets with the Minister. As cyclone evacuees take stock of their situation in different parts of the country, facing water, food and fuel shortages, we're joined by a food safety expert who tells us what can be saved from flooded fridges, freezers and cupboards. And uprooted trees have caused mass destruction this week. We ask an arborist... How to tell if your tree on your property might be at risk of falling? Majority of trees at the moment, Nathan, they should all have leaves on them. If they don't, that's pretty much a tattletale that the, the tree's dead or declining. Welcome to First Up, I'm Nathan Rarere here. Uh, we will begin this morning's programme in the United States of America and uh, our correspondent in New York is Mr Bevan Hurley uh, in amongst the rats in the subway. Kia ora Bevan, how are you? Kia ora Nathan, doing well, how are you? I'm good. Now this Ohio train derailment, obviously New Zealand has been very distracted with what's been happening here, but this is crazy. It, 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 what, it derails, there's a massive fire and it's got a very toxic cargo. What can you tell us? Yeah, it's now been two weeks since that freight train carrying toxic chemicals derailed, um, causing a major environmental catastrophe in the small town of East Palestine, Ohio, just um, across the, uh, on the border with Pennsylvania. So the Norfolk Southern train carrying about 50 cars with chemicals, including vinyl chloride, crashed in a fiery mangled mess on February 3. And local officials decided, decided to intentionally release and burn the toxic cargo to avoid a sort of a major explosion. And what actually ended up happening was that it sent this enormous plume of black smoke and fire containing known carcinogens blowing hundreds of meters into the sky. So 5,000 residents were evacuated and as the toxic chemicals began to seep into the air, water and earth in the surrounding area, some 3,500 fish died and livestock and pets began dropping dead. <clears throat> and as weary residents began returning to their homes in the days afterwards, they were assured by um, officials that the water and air quality was safe. But many have reported um, respiratory problems, burning eyes and lungs, things like that. Um, and there's been enormous frustration over the cleanup efforts and a real sense of distrust. Um, and so a wave of class action lawsuits have been filed against the rail company. Um, basically, they're saying that they created a £1 million chemical burn pit in their backyard. And among the gases released in this was phosphine gas, which was used as a de- deadly chemical warfare agent in World War One. And it's one of those sort of eerie, life-imitating art scenarios, Nathan. Um, this precise type of environmental disaster was predicted in the 2022 Netflix movie White Noise, which follows a train derailment and toxic chemical spill. And it was actually filmed nearby, and one of the residents who was forced to evacuate his home played an extra in the film. Um, And this all came about after the US government relaxed regulations around the transportation of hazardous materials in 2017. So as you can imagine, frustrations have been boiling over. There was a town hall meeting in East Palestine last night, and even um, the renowned environmental lawyer Erin Brockovich has weighed in. She's urging those living in the area to prioritise their own safety and be sceptical of official assurances that the area is safe. It's it's just horrible uh, hearing more about that. And and speaking of horrible, and they're going at a, at a clip of more than one of these per day, another mass shooting in the United States. What do we know uh, about that Michigan State's University one? 
Yeah, so three students were killed and five others were critically injured um, during a shooting at the East Lansing campus on Monday. Um, the gunman had no ties to the university that we know of, but he wandered into a study area in a student recreation hall and just opened fire. And then he stalked the campus for about four hours before he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound as police cornered him. Um, now, these MSU students um, have unfortunately been training for this type of event since they were in primary school and they know to um, basically be as quiet as they possibly can to run if they can and then have to put up a fight if they uh, would find themselves in that scenario and many of these students Nathan were actually have actually experienced these type of school shootings before several had survived a horrific high school shooting in the nearby town of Oxford in 2021 when st four students were killed and dozens were wounded and extraordinarily one of these students who was in enforced into lockdown had also lived through the Sandy Hook school shooting a decade ago and so afterwards Jackie Matthews the student in question um, spoke about how she was angry and heartbroken that ha having to re relive this all over again and how it had resurfaced all of that trauma and PTSD that she experienced in 2011 in Newtown, Connecticut when you know she lost 20 of her classmates as an 11 year old if you can believe um, and she, in a viral TikTok posted hours after the shooting she recalled how she had been hunched in the corner with her classmates for so long during the Sandy Hook shooting that she suffered a fracture in her lower back and as you alluded to this was the 67th mass shooting in the US in 2023 already and there's been more since then so um, yeah it goes on 67. Unbelievable. Bevan, thank you very much for your time. There he is, Bevan Hurley in the United States. It's 11 past five. It's almost two weeks after Turkey's massive quakes. And uh, survivors there are still being pulled alive from the rubble. The death toll has passed 41,000. And even in amongst that, miraculous stories of survival are still being told. The BBC's Caroline Davis is in Adana in southern Turkey. An incredible story of survival. Carefully with many hands, 17-year-old Alina Olmez is lifted to safety after 248 hours under the rubble. These stories that have amazed the world are often down to a few factors and chance. To survive long-term, so let's say over a week or 10 days or something like that, um, you need mainly access to two things, air and, and some sort of water source. So we, we say people can survive without water intake maybe for about three to five days or so. But I do think there's probably a huge psychological component uh, in the sense that, you know, if, if people have hope and they believe that they will be rescued and, and that, that, that determination probably does play a factor. Many fear how long it may take them to be back in a home. In the snow-covered province of Karaman Marash, tent cities have been erected to provide some shelter. In Adana, a food market is now a camp but not for long. Now, these tents have been in position for the course of the last 10 days, but the authorities here say they're now dismantling them. You can see the tents over here and people taking some of their belongings as well. Now, that's because the authorities say that there is a greater need closer to the epicentre, but people who've been living here tell us that they are very worried. The authorities say people will be moved to live in other accommodation, but some feel they're being moved on too quickly. Fatma has been living in the camp since the earthquake hit. It was rainy and cold. Plus, we had to see dead bodies coming out of the building nearby. It was like a nightmare. I couldn't wash for 10 days. This is the situation we're in. Our mental strength has broken. 
The earthquake has already taken so much, but many feel they are now left in limbo, not knowing how or where they can rebuild their lives. Caroline Davis with that report. We'll call it 5.14, shall we? Be all digital. Uh, quarter past five, we'll round it up to that here. at uh, First up on RNZ National, now we go to Africa. And uh, joining us from Ghana is Nabil Ahmed. Uh, Morena, Nabil, this is interesting. The Marburg virus has been the first case of this confirmed in Equatorial Guinea. How, how are they dealing with that? Well, health officials in Equatorial Guinea have isolated uh, people suspected to be infected with the deadly uh, Marburg virus. We understand that at least 16 people are uh, being monitored uh, for the disease. And we know that so far at least nine people have died from the Ebola-like viral disease, which is quite sad. Uh, It was confirmed that they died from the viral hemorrhagic uh, fever after tests were carried out uh, in Senegal. Uh, it came out positive for the Marburg virus. So what makes this a very major health crisis is that uh, there is no vaccine or a known cure for Marburg virus. That's why it is such a deadly disease. Now, um, the World Health Organization has deployed a team of experts to the Central African country to assist health workers there uh, to deal with the outbreak. We'll go to Nigeria now. Banknotes is interesting here. So President Buhari has extended uh, the use of the old banknotes. He had wanted to flag their replacement. Why has that been controversial to keep using the old ones? Well, um, uh, Nigeria printed new currencies and then it wanted to phase out the old notes. So people were given a deadline to go to the bank or to try and change their, replace the old notes with new ones. Now, that has brought a lot of confusion and people had to be queuing uh, at the banks, some were even sleeping outside the banks and uh, also queuing for long hours at cash machines in order to be able to change their old notes. Uh, there were even a lot of uh, vandalism at some of the banks. And this case was sent to the Supreme Court because people felt it wasn't uh, right for them to be in a haste to uh, just phase out their old notes and then bring in the new ones. Now, the Supreme Court has uh, ex- uh, has uh, asked the uh, government to suspend the process at the moment and then extend it, which is why the Nigerian president has come out to say that the deadline has been uh, extended and that um, some of the three bank notes uh, will, that, will be fa- uh, that are being phased out will be reintroduced into circulation. So at least there is some time for them to use the old notes while processes are being made to phase out uh, some of the uh, bank old notes. Okay, let, let's go to Ethiopia then. A row within Ethiopian Orthodox Church has been resolved. What, what, was, the, what was the fight about in the first place? Well, last week I reported that uh, there was confusion between a breakaway clergy group and then the main Orthodox Church in Ethiopia when both planned to hold rallies at the same time. Now, authorities had to intervene by banning the planned uh, rallies. But then the row has been ongoing for a while and the breakaway clergy group accused the Orthodox Church of maintaining a system of uh, linguistic and cultural dominance in which congregations are not served in their native languages. Now, as tensions grew, uh, lawyers of uh, 
present in the main church said hundreds of its members had been detained, including some of them taken to an army camp. Now, we are learning that uh, these representatives from both factions, that's the breakaway clergy group and then the Orthodox Church, have held discussions and have now resolved the RAP. Now, the breakaway clergy group are now going to join back, are going to rejoin the main church and then they'll be accepted and they hope that everything will go on smoothly from then. Uh, Nabil, just one more story. This is really interesting. This Mos- The pastor from Mozambique has died after attempting a 40-day fast. Why, why was he doing a 40-day fast? Well, perhaps trying to strengthen his faith. And uh, one would say this is quite silly of him. And I would agree because you would wonder what the pastor was thinking when he decided to embark on such a perilous journey. Now, 40 days of fasting, something that uh, we, we are learning that happened in the Bible. Uh, Jesus Christ did it. And now we mortal human beings, uh, someone is also attempting to do that. But then um, after 25 days of going on this journey, um, he was taken to the hospital because he became very frail. He was too weak to even stand or even walk. And then uh, the hospital could not really treat him, and he died as a result. And his uh, church members are saying they are not surprised that he couldn't make it uh, because uh, when they went to visit him, they saw that he was very, very frail, and um, he was very weak. And (laughs) it's just quite sad that he would have to die through this way. There's something like uh, (laughs) uh, um, self-suicide, I mean, killing yourself because... Doing a fasting for 40 days is something that uh, a lot of people will not be able to survive. Yeah. Nabil, thank you very much for that. I mean, you know, obviously terrible for his his family and friends and that, but if he's trying to copy Jesus, I think if I was to do that, I'd try and see if I could do the loaves and fishes first and then I'd move on to the not being able to eat for 40 days, but that's just me. It is uh, 20 past Uh, coming up on the program this morning, how to tell if it's safe to eat uh, from your fridge or your freezer when the power's been off, particularly for those of you in, in uh, flood-affected areas around New Zealand, and also to the danger of trees. Uh, f- uh, so we've got an arborist on the show to have a look at. If you've got ones on the property that you want to clear, let's talk about how to do it safely, but also to see are you still in danger of ones falling. There they are standing in the air. Big ones, small ones, some Well, with me from the fresh produce markets is the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He is Glenn Forsyth. Uh, Morena, Glenn, look, disaster uh, in in the fruit bowl in New Zealand. Yes, Morena, Nathan. Everyone will have a story about Gabriel and our hawk industry. In the North Island got hit bad, especially in the Hawke's Bay, Gisborne and Northland. I mean, we won't have time to cover all areas and product lines, but take Cooma, for example, in Dargaville. Two years of non-profit returns. Now some growers this year won't have a crop at all. I mean, who knows? We may see retails over $10 the kilo this year, but that's not the point. Right now, our, our industry's focus is on supporting people and growers, some of which won't bounce back. Now, talking with apple growers in the Hawke's Bay, they were excited a month ago. Good crop. Post-COVID woes over with staffing issues and shipping, and now it's back to square one. Fruit gone, trees uprooted, soil ruined. We won't know the losses North Island-wide for several weeks yet, but this is going to take years to recover. Beans gone from the bay. We'll reach out to Australia now. Gisborne losses have been huge on vegetables also. Uh, There is fruit there affected. Kiwi fruit picking to commence in the Bay of Plenty, and avocados in Northland, they didn't escape the carnage either. 
Growers don't want anything for nothing, but many parts of our industry on this one are going to need big assistance from the government and banks to consider their future. So in a word, Nate, this cyclone has been heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I guess people want to go shopping. What, what does this mean for vegetables? Uh, this has been one of the most difficult reports today, right up. Different lines affected in different areas, then throw in the transport, transport issues of ferry holdups, trucks and cut-off roads. The country is unable to settle down as one area for similar supply and demand. So, you know, for example, some greens are short in Auckland. They're in better supply in Wellington with unaffected horafenua supplying their neighbour okay. Oakuni in the mainland missing the wrath of Gabriel. So, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we will certainly know where supply demand sits on all lines, including imported products, where shipping has also been affected by the cyclone and price rise imminence uh, on bananas and lemons. However, here are several vegetables in fair supplies for this weekend. Pumpkin is okay, and so are gourmet potatoes and the table-sized ones. Courgettes are hanging in there, along with cabbage, leeks, celery, spring onions, new season carrots from Oakuni, brown and red onions, and thank you to the South Island sweet corn. And with most, most glass houses staying put after the cyclone and protected by the rain, the tomato price has fallen, and cucumbers, capsicums, and eggplant are all in season. And newsflash big guy, new season Brussels sprouts. Uh, start next week, so not all bad news. Yeah, okay. Um, fruit section around, because like you said, um, you know, east east coast gets smashed. There, east coast of the North Island. What what have we got in fruit? Yeah, just quickly talking about the warehouse, how fantastic to see them begin with fresh produce this week, expanding their overall range of fresh groceries, admittedly to only six stores so, so far and just several of the main SKUs. However, Baby Steps is best, and it's a start. Uh, the Cumu Westgate Hobsonville area where you live there, with greengrocers and now four competing supermarket companies, would be the most competitive location in New Zealand. Up to the shoppers now to shop around and be ruthless and, and put that pressure firmly back on those retailers to squeeze their margins and to take notice of us and earn the right to take our money. But fruit and good supply this weekend are nectarines, raw gala apples, some skin-marked hailstone hero sweet tango, Italian green kiwi fruit is here, and watermelon and rockmelon not too bad. Get in quick for good buying on avocados and try some gorgeous green gauge plums. Enjoy when soft to the touch. Australian grapes, they're in high demand, and unfortunately we lost a lot of Hawke's Bay fresh New Zealand grapes this week. Berries growing undercover, especially in this rough weather of late, are a treat and include strawberries, blueberries and raspberries and we can finish with fruit of the week nathan yeah let's go what's your fruit of the week glenn it's peaches and but but that's the yellow flesh peaches though the golden range got wiped out in hawks bay now a big thrill for me this week was talking with nigel hinton of alexandra about yellow flesh peaches he helped me out as a young fella over 30 years ago giving us an opportunity to sell his exceptional product his great grandfather started the business in 1910 and six generations on his grandson has worked in the orchard now he enjoys peaches fresh, straight out of the hand, juice everywhere. They've had the heat this year, so good flavour. And thank you for your time yesterday, Mr Hinton. You're a legend. Good news. Good news all round. Good on you. Thank you very much, Glenn. As a wise man once said, peaches come from a can. They were put there by a man in a factory downtown. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life we call the 17th of February and we say happy birthday to you, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Really, after Kojak, he was the next guy to make bald really cool, wasn't he? Uh, Michael Jordan, six-time NBA champion, greatest to ever do it. 
he is. And uh, yesterday he turned 60, well, sorry, today he turned 60. Yesterday, what he did was he donated the equivalent of $15 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He's been the chief ambassador since 2008. And he thought, man, I'll do that. The man is now a multi-billionaire, so it's, don't, don't worry about it. He's, he's good for it. Happy birthday to you, pretty much New Zealander. Ed Sheeran, he's 32 years old uh, today. Paris Hilton, remember her behaviour and she ended up blowing all of hers and her cousin's inheritance. The, grand- <laughs> the rich granddad went, no, not after what she did. So, um, yeah, she's 42 years old today. Denise Richards, salute to you. 52 years old. Uh, Michael Bay, the film director, did Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, the Transformers series. Turns 58 years old today, loves an explosion in a movie. And Lou Diamond Phillips, loved Lou Diamond Phillips. He's 61 years old today. And Happy birthday to you, Barry Humphreys, Dame Edna, who turns 89. On this day in 1972, the VW Beetle became the world's best-selling car, so it overtook the amount of um, Model Ts that were sold. On this day, it was the 15 millionth, 7,034th uh, VW Beetle came off the assembly line. The last original Beetle rolled off the line in Mexico in 2003. And uh, since 2008, this has been the day that uh, in Kosovo, they celebrate the fact that they declared their independence from Serbia. There we go. Anzaki is with me. Uh, kia ora. This is uh, interesting here. The Reserve Bank being told, please don't raise interest rates. There's, we've just had a cyclone and a lot of people are smashed. Yeah, uh, Kiwi Bank uh, economists are saying the Reserve Bank, uh, which is our central bank that looks after monetary policy, uh, should hold off any interest rate rise next week uh, because of the effects of Cyclone Gabrielle. Uh, Now, most forecasters are expecting the Reserve Bank to raise the official cash rate by 50 basis points to uh, 4.75% on Wednesday, uh, and that's to combat inflation. Uh, But Kiwi Bank uh, Chief Economist uh, Jared Kerr reckons the RBNZ uh, should take the current emergency situation into account and just uh, take a breather. Uh, He says it'll be uh, welcomed by most people and says uh, temporary relief is what's needed in a time of crisis. Mm. Um, and uh, look, he also goes on to say that uh, a rate rise of any size, and this 50 basis point rise would be quite a big uh, hike, uh, is going to be hard to explain in, in the middle uh, of a crisis. And the need to tighten uh, aggressively has also evaporated, in his view, because inflation is uh, peaking at lower levels, and glo- global inflation pressures are easing. Yeah. So... Um, it's a tough time for everyone, so uh, Jared Kerr reckons, um, you know, take the foot off the pedal, basically. Well, people simply aren't going to be spending money, are they? Because, like, you know, a lot of them just aren't going to be able to make any money, I think, is what makes it quite hard. So, Well, yeah. exactly, and it's tough uh, just to even get out of their own house. Yeah. Um, the world's biggest food company, Nestle, are raising prices again. So is my Kit Kat more expensive now? Uh, unfortunately, it will be. Uh, <laughs> Nestle, <Come on>. yeah, <laughs> uh, it's warning uh, it's going to be forced to charge more to cover the increasing cost of its ingredients. Now, uh, this is painful news for uh, Kit Kat lovers, uh, Milo lovers. Um, they also own Maggi Nescafe. Um, 
And they also own the pet food brand Purina, which I didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just touching the surface. So they, they have a reach uh, right across uh, our uh, pantry and cupboards. Um, now, the company, which is uh, they're a Swiss company, they're refusing to say how much uh, prices would climb this year. But they say it's taking a, a massive hit to its margins, uh, despite the 8% increase to its prices last year. And uh, the company's boss, uh, Mark Schneider, uh, said it's it suffered in 2022 despite its $16 billion profit because uh, people are spending less money. So they want to uh, focus on restoring margins this year. Yeah, it's, it's pretty mean of me to be, you know, here I am you know, thinking about this. I mean, when the Paul Chocolate Company is, is only making $16 billion, it's, um, it's terrible, isn't it? Is it oh, you it's, know? it's dreadful. $16 billion. $16 billion. That's, just, that's terrible. I'm going, to, I'm, going to eat, I'm going to eat Whitakers. Thank you very much, uh, Ananzaki. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report today at 10 to 7. My goodness. Uh, the Friday money market looks like this. Uh, in New, your New Zealand dollar will buy you 62.52 US cents, 90.94 Australian cents, 58.58 euro cents, 52.09 British pence, 4.29 yuan, and 83.91 Japanese yen. There is over there an RNZ sports department sitting next to the lava lamp. Uh, it is Joe Porter. Kia ora, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good, my friend. Uh, Black Caps versus England started afternoon time because it's a pink bally and uh, it was, did the rain get in the way a lot there? Well, not not really, to be fair. It was more the, the English really just taking complete control of the opening day of this pink ball test. They started off pretty well. Tim Southey chose to bat, uh, sorry, to bowl first, the New Zealand captain winning the toss. He probably thought he was going to get a little bit more assistance from the atmosphere and the pitch in Mount Maunganui, considering there had been so much rain of late up those ways. But uh, he didn't really. England were pretty good off the start. They made a really quick start. Um, they declared after just 58.2 overs at 300. 25 for 9. They lost four of their last wickets in pretty quick order near the end of the day and I guess Ben Stokes thought, well hey let's try and get the Black Caps out here. It's pretty hard to bat under lights with this pink ball and of course he was proved right. New Zealand really struggled. They only made it to 37 for 3 at Stumps. Kane Williamson already out. Henry Nichols gone as well. Devin Conway was dropped and had a reprieve. He's still out there. But certainly they really, really did struggle, the Black Caps, in that late session of the first day. And England very much in control early on. Mm. Um, as well as that, obviously, I think, you know, we've still got the Women's T20 World Cup go- going on. But it just seems like after those first two games, it's just such a disaster. Can, can the Ferns make it through or is that it? No, I think mathematically they still have a chance, mm. but but only just. I mean, it would be very, very difficult. Their net run rate's appalling after those two heavy defeats. So to turn that around, they'd need two massive wins from their last two group games. Sri Lanka and Australia already on four and six points. The White Ferns can't reach Australia. They can only go level with Sri Lanka. Of course, South Africa have two points. So they've got games in, hands as, games in hand as well. So, look, it's going to be an absolute battle for the White Ferns to make it to the semifinals. I don't think they will. And, of course, they seem to have a real mental block at these tournaments. So, look, to assume that they'll go and get two big wins. They've got Bangladesh tomorrow. They need to put in a good performance there and get a, at least get themselves on the board to give themselves some confidence going into their final game. But, no, their chances are all but done and dusted at the World Cup after the first two heavy defeats, which is pretty sad. And a really horrible 
total failure at the top of the order, and yeah. that's th- those are normally the ones that you know carry the water for the rest of the team. I mean, obviously Amelia Kerr is a megastar, yeah. but um, you know we rely on the openers to get away, and boy, they've just fallen awfully in these these last couple of games in particular. Yeah, they have. You're right. You know, Captain Sophie Devine, Susie Bates, but Zayden Hout at the top of the order. They just haven't been as strong as they usually are. I'm not sure what it is when it comes to these tournaments, these World Cups. They, you know, had decent form going into it, had some good momentum. They'd been playing well for their respective domestic teams and decent form. They've, they've got nothing to fear. But for whatever reason, they go to the big tournaments. Even in the warm-up games, they were far better. But they go to the big tournaments, and when it comes to the crunch, they just haven't been able to pull it out of the bag. And it must be incredibly frustrating. And you can see that frustration emerging in the likes of Captain Sophie Devine. She just can't put her finger on why they're not performing. And it's absolutely gutting for them. But it's incredibly disappointing. And you know who knows what, how they'll review this afterwards and how you put your finger on why they're not doing that because it seems like it is largely in their heads. Yeah. Joe, thank you very much for your time, sir. There he is, uh, Joe Porter. It's 22 to 6. It's Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, we ask an arborist how you can safely remove fallen trees from your property, but also how to look around and see which ones are still in risk of falling. And Acts Deputy Leader Brooke Van Felden is with us live. The Professionals of Morning Report are up after six. It is Kim Hill that I get to say kia ora to right now. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Nathan. How are you? I'm pretty good. Tired. It's been a stressful week for those of us with roots in Hawke's Bay. Yeah, mm. yeah. How's how are you, how's your whānau going? Well, uh, good to hear that uh, they've got uh, Eastland Power's got the generator up and running in Mahia, so at least they've got some power there. But, uh, boy, the just the destruction around the, those areas. And I think, you know, when, when you just see the walls of mud and that that came through, and I'm so proud to see, pleased to see that the Hukarere school in Esk Valley, that was the one I was worried about. It's a boarding school with 300 girls in it and they managed to get them out just in time. That could have been horrific. Yeah, well no prizes of course for guessing the uh, the content of the programme this morning. The huge clean-up begins and as the Prime Minister said, Hawke's Bay and Tairawhiti people are in a state of shock. Uh, there are an unknown number of people still unaccounted for yeah. and of course that other death, that second firefighter caught in the collapsed house in Muruai some supplies are getting through to the stricken areas, either by truck or by air or by sea. We'll cover the areas, check on progress or not, as the case may be. As someone said, Nathan, there's no adrenaline in recovery and things are going to stay hard for a long time. Yeah, you know, because people, I, th- I think they, they, they run into it for about two or three days, but it's the bits that come after where you're tired and you have a look and all of a sudden, that you know, that, that molehill does look like a mountain. Yeah. And that's the, the horrible thing. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, good luck to uh, all of all of the stricken people. And yeah, uh, they do have such support around the country, but goodwill only gets you so far. Yeah. Kim, thank you very much Cheers. for your time. Kim and Corin with you up after six. We get thousands of people in the North Island still waiting for power to be restored. Authorities say that reinforcements are on the way, but essential supplies are dwindling, which means that many of those stranded are now having to resort to the leftover food that's in the fridge and, and the freezers because it's not that easy just to pop down to a supermarket. So with no electricity in some places for hours, another place for days, uh, those items would have thawed. And so how do you know if it's safe to consume? Well, we asked microbiologists and food safety blogger, Dr John Brooks. If it's something like yoghurt, that will keep at room temperature for quite a long time, maybe two or three days without going off because of the acidity. If it's something like ice cream, it's going to melt and then 
potentially, if it's if it's risen to several degrees centigrade, it, it will start to go off. If it's meat, of course, and the meat is uh, thawed, then I would be very careful about eating it. Uh, you certainly need to cook it very carefully to make sure it's cooked through. And it doesn't matter what type of meat it is, the cooking rules always remain the same. I think all meat you need to be a bit careful about. If it's thawed, it's going to go off within a, a couple of days. If it stays down at four or five degrees, then it'll be okay for a while. It just depends how often you open the fridge and what condition it was in when uh, the power went off. Now, sometimes food might not smell, but it doesn't quite have the right texture. What's happened there is that bacteria have grown on the surface, and bacteria produce a slime. We sometimes call it an exopolysaccharide, and that means that the meat or whatever the food is is on the way off. Now, the bacteria aren't necessarily pathogenic. So, for example, you can get bacon, which will have gone a bit slimy in the pack if you've opened it and not used it straight away. You'd usually see that or smell that the meat didn't smell right. And bacon starts to smell off. It won't necessarily cause you illness, but um, it's just not pleasant to eat. Dr. Brooks says that vegetables are more resistant than meat. I think they'd be okay for quite a long time. I mean, let's face it, they, uh, we pick them out of the garden and they're probably okay for maybe uh, two weeks. Once again, do they look and smell wrong? If they look and smell right, I would uh, go ahead and boil them in water as normal or in a microwave. He says that canned goods are fine to eat, but avoid eating anything in contaminated water or from a fridge freezer uh, that may have been in floodwaters. And as for tap water, he says there's just one ideal solution. If you've got power, boiling the water would certainly make it safe. Some of us who live in the rural areas get water off our roofs, and as long as we can pump it out of the tanks, we're going to be fine. If you have access to bottled water, that's another solution. Getting the temperature up above about uh, 75 degrees is going to deal with E. coli, as an example. It won't deal with bacterial spores, but I wouldn't get too excited about those. I think the answer is boil the water. You will kill off the what we call vegetative cells, like E. coli, and it will be safe to drink. That's Dr John Brooks there. It is a quarter to six. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins says that New Zealand is accepting offers of international assistance. He also adjourned Parliament for the week while the country remains in a national state of emergency. Uh, Act Deputy Brooke Van Felden was not a fan, saying it isn't wise to suspend democracy at this time, and, and she's with us right now. Um, kia ora, Brooke. Thank you very much for being here. Does, does your mind change after seeing what the destruction actually is, you know, and, and what's gone on? Oh, kia ora. Um, well, no, it doesn't. Uh, look, firstly, I want to say my thoughts are with people who have been affected by the cyclone uh, and the floods. Um, but at the same time, it's also extremely important for people, and I've been hearing this even from the community, I've been in Masterton just last night, um, who are saying that even at a time of emergency, it's so important uh, that their voices are brought to Parliament so that questions can be asked and the government can be held to account. Um, and, and a small example is, even on the nights of the cyclone up in Auckland, I've been told 
uh, that there were businesses that were being ram-raided and burgled, uh, those people have a right uh, to a government uh, being held to account, not just uh, for what's happening in that emergency, but other things happening in people's lives too. Um, but I'm, I'm just thinking here, though, okay, held to account for... I mean, the, the weather's the weather, but I'm thinking if, if you what I would need and what I'm hoping is for leadership here that actually gets to go and have a look, because isn't it best for you to actually see what's happening and assess it for yourself to come back to Parliament to ask for all of Parliament to help rather than just rely on information coming through? Because information has been hard. Telecommunications have been hard. I know people in Napier who haven't been able to communicate for two or three days. Yeah, and, and members of parliament have been in their community, but it's not just about members of parliament uh, being in areas that have been affected. A lot of uh, uh, people who work in parliament have electoral offices. Uh, they have people on the ground, community organisations that are feeding back real-time information. And if I look at it, a very good example um, of our electorate office in Epsom, you know, those people uh, who have been working in the office have been working around the clock uh, to help coordinate people who have been affected uh, and need help uh, with organisations that can help uh, while we were in Parliament. Um, so there are, there are people on the ground that can help. Uh, while Parliament was suspended, I went back up to Auckland uh, to see what was happening in our local community. Uh, and by and large, what I heard on the ground uh, was that neighbours had offered each other assistance uh, and people uh, were helping each other and being brought together. And I think that's a, a really wonderful part of New Zealand society uh, that doesn't always need a politician getting in the mix. Uh, but at the same time, I think it is our duty and our right uh, to be in Parliament and bring their voices there. Hmm. Uh, you know, I know you're the party of, of less government, and as you mentioned there, maybe not, not for the politicians, but what, so what do you think of this? We've had some companies making huge profits these last years, uh, you know, last year or so, you know, banks are up in the millions and that, and I think main freight passed $5 billion. But Would it be good, do you expect them to be able to step up and support the communities around them? Oh, look, I think there, there's an argument here uh, for people uh, wanting to, to help each other. I don't think it's necessarily the role of the government to tell these companies what they should be doing. Uh, but I, I do want to note uh, that in the past year, uh, there have been other political parties who have said uh, some of the profits that these companies have made um, is not necessarily a good thing. Also not noting that they could be affected in future uh, by adverse events uh, that might need them to see a profit in other years. Uh, we can't predict these things and we shouldn't stop businesses uh, making a profit to use their money in the way that they see fit. Uh, but what I do see uh, is a lot of people opening up their own pockets, even opening up their own homes to help others. And I think that's the, the wonderful side of the Kiwi spirit, um, not just in the cyclone, but also in the floods. In the, in the days after the floods, I actually visit a woman uh, who was in her 90s, uh, who had offered up her own bed to a neighbour who had lost her home. And I think that is a, a wonderful, a wonderful part of our New Zealand spirit. Uh, and, and I think in the months coming, uh, as we don't know what the true effects of the flood and the cyclone will be, I suspect most New Zealanders will band together.
Yeah. Well, I mean, let's hope they do. Let's um, hope that everyone that you know and, and love is safe too. Thank you very much. Brooke Van Velden there, uh, the deputy leader of the ACT Party. Yeah, I mean, I, I think New Zealand's at its best when we when we come together uh, to help like this, um, particularly in the face of what has been a cost-of-living crisis, and it's the little people stepping up to help. It is 9 to 6. <laughs> Cyclone Gabrielle has left several North Island towns destroyed beyond recognition, but it wasn't just the intense rain that caused the devastation. The strong winds uprooted trees, downed power lines, blocked roads, destroying more than uh, 80 trees actually at Topor's Wairake uh, golf course alone. Now, this is for those of you out there that are wondering, what do I do with that tree that's fallen down in my yard? Is it safe for me to cut? What about that one over there? Is it dangerous? Well, Zach Fell is an Auckland arborist, and uh, he actually told me how busy that they've been hectic <laughs> I get like you know normally what you'd, you'd go to like maybe one one or two places a day like like what's what's your week been like with going place 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 yeah so i mean we're working at the moment mate from say you know the hanua ranges for regional parks and working all our way up to Southhead. you know with auckland council and then also residential and commercial properties just just abominated by large trees, you know, just failing left, right and centre. Yeah. Where, where are the parts where you look and you think, man, the, these are the worst struck areas. We're here a lot. Oh, nah, mate. I, I couldn't actually. It's it's all over the show, to be honest. It's just um, obviously just where some of the main, just the wind impact has just been, you know, going through the place and it's just, um, yeah, just toppling over large trees. I imagine in your job, you drive around on the weekends when, you, when you're not on, on the job and you're looking going, oh, that tree looks like it's going to snap soon or something like that. <laughs> yeah, the trees that you have seen come down, obviously there would be those sorts of ones, but are there any ones that you would look at and think normally there's no way that tree's going anywhere? Yeah, I mean, look, there is obviously from doing all our qualifications and whatnot and knowing trees, you know, we can always say which ones are the heartiest and whatnot. But um, at the moment, mate, with a, with a storm that we've just had and that heavy downpour the week before, you just, yeah, it's so hard to tell. And it's just large, beautiful trees are just getting bowled over. I'm going to get some advice for you for, for listeners very soon about what not to touch. But first off, how can people tell if there's a tree on their property currently uh, that, that hasn't fallen over? But how can they tell if it's dangerous? Like, what are the signs you look for to go, that one's coming down soon no matter what? Okay, so majority of trees at the moment, Nathan, they should all have leaves on them. If they don't, that's pretty much a tattletale that the, the tree's dead or declining. So that's one. And then also it's just if the tree is, you know, if it's been a nice straight tree and then all of a sudden it's sort of leaning one way, best thing to do is just to check the root plate and see if there's any form of the roots lifting or any cracks, you know, around the ground. Um, there's all sorts. But um, the main thing to do is just to check for the root plate and the movement of the tree. Okay. As well as this, I, I know we had friends that had uh, a tree blown over their gate. They couldn't get out of their house, and Shane went out with a chainsaw and you know hacked into that and, and did it himself. And I know that a club that we belong to, there was a big giant tree that had fallen over, which the advice was, can you guys please get away from that? So the danger of trying to do it yourself for people, is there something that you look at and, you know, can you, can you put it on a scale of, yep, you should be able to handle that sort of thing yourself, or there's a giant thing where you're like, no, 
nope, call a pro. I mean, it's that, you know, the old Kiwi ingenuity, you know, that she'll be right or we can take it on. There is, you know, some factors you've got to take into place, especially if it's at night time and, you know, you don't actually know how big this tree is or, you know, if there's anything factoring, you know, if you're going to drop it onto the fence or onto a house or onto power lines, you're going to make it worse, put yourselves in danger and everyone else. But I do get it, mate. If you need to get out of your house, if you're being evacuated and whatnot, you do need to cut your way out, then I do understand. But, yeah, ideally... If you can get a local arborist, then by all means, we're usually pretty good on the phone, you know, we'll answer every call and then we'll be there, you know, as soon as we can. Like I say, it's a hectic time at the moment, but pretty sure all Auckland arborists are doing as much as they can. If if it is one of those cases, should they be, because I'm worried about like someone tries to cut off what they think is a branch that, you know, you can just get a branch and biff it away and then the the trunk rolls over towards something or that. Is there there an indicator of stability that you look at when you come in to, to trim these down? Oh, you always need to check the whole tree before you just get stuck in, mate, because it's, um, like I say, we've got stuff which is like tension and compression, as well as sometimes, you know, that people think that the tree's actually fallen over, but it actually, it, sometimes when you cut the, the bit of the trunk off, it actually stands back up, you know, and that could absolutely catapult you, injure. Like I say, sometimes it's probably best to just call before or even send a, a quick video to a, you know, a local company and see if we can help. What the the trunk fires back up? Well, imagine if you've got tons of bits, of, you know, roots and soil. Yeah. You cut that trunk off at say five meters, it just catapults straight back up and stands back up. So, yeah, you've got to know what you're doing. There's a lot of issues here too. Like people are worried about cutting natives in there. Is there is there some sort of protocols that we should follow with those at the moment? Yes, by all means, mate. Like, if you can keep the tree, then yeah, let's keep the trees because you want to. I mean, as much as just from this current weather, we do depend on these trees. And just, you know, in regards to the natives and that, we should respect every tree, natives, exotics, all the same. You know, they provide us with so much that we need. And we don't want to turn into a concrete jungle, you know. You know, there are some other ways as well that we're talking, which is like significant ecological areas, you know, and for example, Waitakere's and that. You really just can't go gung-ho in areas, you know, if it's just on a slip or it's on the base of a cliff or whatever. You do need to make sure that you, you've got all your ducks in a row and you've contacted somebody, a, a local company, and they can explain what's best to do. That's uh, a very hectic Zach Fell uh, from Treetops in Auckland. So hopefully you heard some uh, advice there that can help you. Uh, finally this morning, some of your feedback. Someone's gone, an arborist called Fell. LOL. Oh, it rhymed that one there too, didn't it? That bit of feedback. Also, uh, Daniel has written in, uh, he says, Morning, it doesn't take much research to see that the main cause of inflation is greed and inflated corporate profits. Suffered? Only 16 billion profit? Obscene. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Daniel. Look, um, as you know, there's, there's many people that still haven't been contacted. And, and I know uh, from personal experience here with, with family and, and friends in, in Hawke's Bay and, and around East Coast and, and Poverty Bay, is that it's very, very hard for them to get a signal to get out to you. The power is intermittent. And, and you would have seen that people checking in on, on various places, texts, Facebooks, whatever, uh, doing things like, we've just driven to the top of the hill, I can get a little bit of, of coverage, I'm okay, and then they go back. If there's people that you want to know about, uh, police, there's a police force. You can call any any police station to report missing people, but on uh, their website, it's a 10-5 form, so 105 form. Have a look for, have a look for that. This can be, I'm trying to check in with this person, 
uh, and I just need to know that they're okay because there are still people that haven't checked in and it's hard for them to know because there are people coming into the, the shelters and back out again they're not checking in so it's it's hard to see but still over a thousand people haven't been accounted for so far we don't think they're all have met a horrible end but it's very very hard to try and pair this up so the police forms here at the 105s thank you very much uh, for being here with us this week uh, Morning Report is next with Kim and Corin from all of us here at First Up have yourselves a wonderful day and uh, we'll be back in your ears on Monday Monday